1: It's Thursday, September 10th, 2020. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ed Harrison, joined shortly by Real Vision's own Tyler Neville. But first, the stories of the day with Haley Drasnan. So, Haley, happy Thursday. Uh, What's happening in the markets and the economy today?
2: Hey, Ed. Great to be on the Daily Briefing. So, for months now, we've been talking about the juxtaposition between the real economy and the financial economy, the markets. What does that look like now? Also, a top headline today, Citibank making history, appointing Jane Frazier as CEO, becoming the first woman to lead a major Wall Street bank.
1: Good. Yeah, that sounds good. So um, let's jump right into the market side of that first. What What are you seeing there?
2: So, If you look at the markets today, they were relatively flat after periods of high volatility last week. You know, despite the three-day losing streak last week, the stock market is, steer- is still near all-time highs. You know, I was particularly paying close attention to how markets were going to react following this morning's jobless claims release, which showed some cracks in labor market strength. Also, you know, Congress doesn't seem any closer to passing a new COVID relief bill.
1: Yeah, and you know, my general take on the whole thing is is that the markets were up this morning uh, after the jobless claims numbers, which I thought were not that good, and uh, and then the sell off in markets only happened after the fact. So, generally speaking, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a fundamental move down. We'll just have to take a look and see. But you know, let me ask you about the real economy because the jobs numbers; those are the things that I'm interested in. What uh, what's going on there?
2: When we compare the stock market to jobs data, the numbers are sobering. There were nearly 1.7 million new unemployment claims last week. This includes regular and pandemic unemployment assistance, up from 1.6 million the prior week there are still incredibly high numbers of Americans losing jobs and applying for aid. In total, the US still has 29.6 million people on unemployment. It's important to note the jump in unemployment claims is coming mainly from the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which is mainly for self-employed and gig workers. It implies many still can't find steady work. There were nearly 900,000 pandemic unemployment assistance filings last week, seasonally adjusted. This is, you know, six months after the lockdown and, and you know, four months after the reopening of the U.S. economy. So when the economy was closed at the beginning of the pandemic, it made sense that a lot of jobs were lost. But now we're in a reopening phase and we're not seeing a large pickup in, in employment. The thinking was that, the you know, the reopening would solve many of the labor market problems, but it doesn't seem to yet.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the 8.4 percent number that we got on the jobs, was uh, interesting last week. I mean, it was a positive number, but given the numbers that you're talking about, nine hundred thousand uh, per week, you got to think that that eight point four number could actually tick up uh, over the coming month or two. So it will be interesting to watch that particular stat uh, from my perspective. And and also, by the way, you know, because you were talking about city, uh, that's a job. I mean, that's a, a talk about getting jobs. Uh, the uh, the head of Citigroup is being uh, swapped out. What's going on there? Yeah.
2: So City naming Jane Frazier a CEO. You know, making her the first woman to lead a major Wall Street bank. This is groundbreaking news for the banking industry. You know, she's currently in charge of City's consumer bank, and she's set to take over in February for Michael Forbat. Still, less than 10% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women, and only three are women of color. At a congressional hearing last year, Big Bang CEOs, all white men, were asked if they were likely to be succeeded by female candidates one day. No one had said yes. And here we are today.
1: Now, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Sally Krawcheck, who was the head of wealth management at uh, Citi, you know, right when the crash was happening in 2007. She left in 2008. So it was kind of a bad time for her to get into that seat. You know, we're in a similar situation right now. A uh, city, you know, their profit went down 73%. So we're in tough times. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Is it a good time to be taking over a major bank?
2: You know, she's been in charge of leading the bank during the coronavirus pandemic, you know, their North America branch. And, um, you know, this is someone who, you know, was appointed during the financial crisis. She ran the bank strategy division, you know, laying the groundwork to sell units like the Smith Barney brokerage and shrink the overall bank. You know, also in 2014, she tapped, she was tapped to revive City's Mexico branch as it was reeling from a money laundering and fraud investigation. So, you know, I, I think she's more than prepared. Um, you know, she, in her memo, she talked about really bringing and leading City in a digital world.
1: Excellent. Good stuff, Haley. Glad to have you and hear you back again on RBDB.
0: Great to be here. Thanks, Ed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N com.
1: Talynel, welcome back. Ed, great to be here, man. It's always yeah, a pleasure. So, I was just talking to Haley Drasnan about uh, the markets. This this whole dichotomy between what's going on in the marketplace and what's going on in the real economy. You know, we had a horrible nine hundred thousand, almost nine hundred thousand uh, jobless claims number, uh, but the equity market didn't sell off this morning. It only sold off later as the day went on. I mean. What's going on? What do you what are you seeing both over the short term and the long term?
3: Yeah, I guess short term, uh, you know, this is just a continuation of the momentum puke. I think you're seeing a lot of the retail traders that bought the calls on the upside to chase, you know, the SoftBank call replacement trade. That's now getting reversed. Um, and but but longer term, you know, there's stuff underneath this market uh, that. Is kind of
1: reassuring, and that's that's the bond market. And uh, before you get into that, you know, you mentioned something. Actually, I think you talked to me about this earlier today. This whole SoftBank thing, because we haven't mentioned this at all. I don't think on RVDB. We were talking about someone who was buying single name uh, calls in in massive size. Uh, we we didn't mention any names, but you're you're telling names SoftBank. Talk to me about what's going on there. Yeah, I guess there's speculation that. Essentially,
3: SoftBank pulled these things, call replacement strategies, which is essentially selling the equity. You buy the calls, but what happens when a, a bank or that size buys like uh, calls is you essentially the dealers get short, and this is what they they were all talking about the short gamma. So they sell the calls, and they have to go hedge out the exposure. So as the market goes up, they have to keep buying the market to chase. Um, so I think we saw that along. With the the retail traders at at Robinhood kind of chasing that trade, now that's just all kind of unwinding right now.
1: Right, and and why was SoftBank uh, doing this, buying these calls?
3: I mean, God, who knows? It's uh, you can't really uh, put any rationality on what what happens at SoftBank these days. So, right. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of speculation. It's 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 a a longer story, I'd say.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Well, well, let's let's go to this bigger thesis you're talking about. Talk to me, yeah, you because know, you know I love the the bond markets. Uh, so, what's going on there that's telling you that this isn't a fundamental move that we that we're seeing?
3: Yeah. So I have a, kind of like I do my my three charts to to give you a background of what I'm thinking. The first one is the CDS index on investment grade debt, and what we saw there is essentially a backup. In, in with the tiny backup in credit stress, but it hits the 50-day moving average, and it's it's going back down now. So there's not really much credit stress going on, and right? When, relative to March, that's when I get concerned. You know, when, when you start seeing gap ups in in debt, that's when you get the blowouts and liquidity and and all that, those other problems. It's not so, happening
1: on this. Basically, you're saying that, uh, okay, we're ten percent down on the NASDAQ, but if credit spreads aren't moving from the CDS, really, you know, how fundamental can it be?
3: Correct. and this is this is what I say is this is a refinancing market now where where credit basically drives everything. It's a capital structure market where you know, as long as credit stays low, credit spreads stay low. This whole game can keep going on and forcing people out the risk spectrum. Um, And then to move on to the next chart I have, excess liquidity versus S&P PE. Now, this chart measures the M2 money supply growth year over year minus nominal GDP growth. That's the blue line versus the S&P index PE year over year and it shows kind of how much liquidity has been pumped into the system and how that correlates over time. So we could see, you know, even though valuations have you know taken a cut on the sell-off, there could be a lot more to come on the upside. And then the third chart I have, uh Larry McDonald published it about the top 20 highest VIX readings in the S&P at all-time highs. Now, I look at this chart and I'm like, okay, short-term that looks pretty bearish, you know, we'll this is the the, the correction uh, we're we're seeing right now, but check out what happened in '98 through 2001. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the first two of those right now, but you know, if the Fed is behind this and fiscal policy is behind this, maybe we see these dots expand a little bit more into the future, longer term.
1: So you know, basically, a lot of this, you know, one of the takeaways that I have is, and we're going to get into some of this later, is a lot of this is market structure-driven. That we're in a different market structure than we were in the past, and so different variables are are moving the markets. Mm -hmm. Precisely, I think we are in the biggest thing is
3: the unfunded pensions and their incentives are fueling very, very big divergences in where capital essentially goes. And, you know, I I think I want to get into the simplistic flow of how the market works. But uh, before that, I think what something you brought up before was was Mike Green's Twitter quote, which was he said, larger players are beginning to provide supply into rich valuation. And he says, ding, ding, ding. Lots of phone calls from Asian brokers yesterday. Largest one day supply of single stock fall from Asian structured products in history, I'm told so when you see like a pop in volatility and you have aging demographics especially i think japan they package up all that volatility and try to turn it into a bond like proxy so that's sort of what i did at my last job selling single stock fall at a, a huge long income fund and that's happening pervasively that's how these pensions Try to seek yield as they they package it
1: into a volatility product now. So Um, yeah, he's he's talking basically about Japanese investors, you know, who are getting nothing uh, on their uh, fixed income portfolios, and they're they're trying to pick up some yield, and they're doing that by taking that short vol position. Correct.
3: That's what uh, I think was going on today. You know, vol popped a little bit more. I'm really watching next Wednesday when the VIX expires. Usually, you get that sell-off and the vol volatility volatility roll into the next month. But generally, the VIX will fall, and then you get some kind of players levering up again. So, I'm waiting to see that uh, come Tuesday of next
1: week. So th- th- that gives us a sense of where we are, sort of like short-term. You know, maybe the medium term, but I know that you have a larger thesis as to, you know, wh- how to think about this from a big picture perspective. So talk yeah. to me about that. All right. So here's my
3: simplistic flow of how the system kind of works you know, you have a new idea or innovation that creates new dollars and new growth. That new dollar means that the government gets new revenue through taxes. Now you have an aging population with defined benefits, which means bigger liabilities, which means more unfunded pensions. That means more tax money needs to be allocated from state budgets to pensions for investment. So this is where the the breakdown has really come in why this market is so fluky. Pensions historically are forced to invest in yield and not in innovation. So they go up in the capital structure. So the pension funds buy these high-yield bonds to hit their 7.5% benchmark return. Historically, anybody that's raising money in high-yield has been energy companies or big bureaucratic low-growth companies, right? They have big balance sheets, and they're just creating more supply of oil or whatever it be, which kind of keeps a lid on inflation along with demographics. Um, that That's a really funky thing right there, because you're you're investing higher in the capital structure and you're over... Supplying the market, which is called, you know, some people call it the devil's bushel, which is creates that extra barrel of oil or, or whatever it is. So they're sacrificing investing in future growth for being higher in the capital structure playing not to lose. Uh, what I think will happen regardless of Democrat or Republicans in getting into office this next couple of years, they're about to go gangbusters on giant fiscal packages. Um, and they're going to force pensions, essentially, into kind of private investments for generating real growth. You know, one, one of my favorite quotes comes from Kirill Sokolov. He says, the society grows old when men plant trees whose shade they'll never sit under. And I think this whole market this past 10 years has basically been in investing in dying companies and keeping them alive like zombies. And then the capital is starting to find its way into the real growth sectors in the economy, which I think are happening in the private markets right now.
1: Let's let's talk a little bit about that in a second. But I think it's kind of interesting that you segged into this after we talked about Japanese uh, pensioners uh, basically getting no yield pickup and uh, you know going for these exotic products. I mean, it's almost like what's happening is a compression of the the Japanese uh, zombie company aging society. Uh, paradigm into a shorter period of time that we're now in the U.S. moving into that same paradigm.
3: Yeah, and I think the the government, the Fed, and you know, fiscal policy is trying to combat those forces as best they can. So far, they have, and there's a tale of two cities, right? Like unemployment's horrible, but the market's fine, and they can't reconcile it. But I think this is why, because as long as you keep the spigots open to the debt origination markets, you can keep essentially the stock market alive it's like a walking zombie because you know you have these pensions funneling money back into these giant companies keeping inflation at bay but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but then it's death by a thousand cuts you never get real real growth because or new new things there's very few companies in this market that are doing really cool growth things and we We see that the companies that do relatively better things get the capital from passive investment now, and that creates these like little boom bust kind of cycles.
1: You know, you know, uh, I think that if we went back to twenty years ago and we we were talking about this, we go back twenty years ago to the dot com bubble. Uh, you know, you had like Pets.com. People talk about uh, Webvan, uh, things like that. Those companies are not going to market now. You can we can argue whether there's some innovation there or not. I think there is because you know we had the Amazons of the world, we had the Ebays of the world, we had the Googles of the world that started up in that time frame from the late '90s to mid 2000s. All of these companies uh, that were very innovative that you know are spurring great growth, but uh, none of those, you know, at their infancy, all of those IPOs that we had in the '90s, they really aren't happening on on the same scale today. Mm-hmm. So, to me, it points again to another market structure issue. How do we, I, Joe Pensioner, who needs to get my 7.5 percent return from my pension fund, get involved into those markets?
3: I think you're slowly seeing it happen one way or another. So. You know, one of the things about that was interesting, I I saw, and I'm not sure if this is like super accurate, but IPOs used to go public with 30% of their company, and now they only go public with about 10. So like the floats are smaller, and they're giving up less of their company to the public markets. But one of the other things that are happening, and this is what's forcing the investment into the private markets, is, look at hedge fund, mutual funds, and, and pension funds are all massively underperforming their benchmarks. It's killed them, right? The hedge fund uh, research index year to date is down 0.3 percent, whereas s p P is up nine point seven percent. So, like, hedge funds got to do some funky stuff now, right? Most hedge funds, you know, they're looking at C and D rounds. So, there's two really good charts that just came out from Crunchbase: investors in rounds above hundred million dollars in 2020. And if you look at this chart, you got T row. 14% or no, 14 new deals in their portfolio, Fidelity 12, BlackRock 11, KOTU, 11, you know, go down the list, Wellington, Bailey Gifford, Tiger, SoftBank. They're playing these mega rounds. They're trying to find the growth companies um, as well. And then there's the second chart is global funding in rounds $100 million and above by month. And if you look in July, 19 billion dollars was raised in in July during a pandemic which is more than last July which was 14 billion. 57 deals were done in this July. So like I don't you know there might be like a crowding in the fangs and in all these other places but there's companies growing at 100% that have 20 million dollars in in recurring revenue every year and there's a horde an absolute horde of capital looking to be invested in those companies and they're 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 willing to hand out 100 million dollars per check you know that stuff used to happen at ipo so so all that money is slowly getting forced into that c d e e type round um, right and that's what i'm saying
1: so the CDE rounds of today are the IPOs of uh, 20, 25 years ago.
3: Correct. And and no one's paying attention to it. They just see, you know, the public markets kind of going going nuts. Why I always say is like you have to go into illiquidity if you want like real returns. And all the stuff with the derivatives, like derivatives are driving more of the public markets than anything else. The derivative guys are like seven steps ahead of any fundamental analysts. Because once you get the derivative guys in there, that means they're putting a bell curve on all your returns, your distributions. And that means like generally, like there's no unknown information in the marketplace. But there is unknown information in, in private markets because there's a, a wide variance of what, what can actually happen. But the, the last point I want to kind of make here is I think my big bet is that the Fed and fiscal policy will not let this thing fail. They're going to step in at every point. We already have massive divergences in stock market and fundamental economy. It's so bearish out there for a vast horde of of people living in the world right now, versus you know the one percenters that own assets. And here's a reason why I think fiscal policy is going to explode. It was a chart uh, a buddy Taylor Pearson put up on Twitter the other day, but it's a year of wages, no longer covers a year of family expenses. So the median male income, I think it's like $55,000, and then all the housing costs, health care, vehicle, and college costs. So how do you let a market fall Like as a, a, when you have pretty much you're, you're just getting by? just like that. Like you there's no buffer of safety and you're already starting to see like social discord in, in all these other things. They're going to throw money at this thing and that's what the credit market's telling you. It's like they're they're betting that the Fed is is going to keep rates low. You saw mortgage rates hit an all-time low today. Like that doesn't happen in a bear market.
1: So right let me ask you this. Actually, I mean, there are tons of questions I have. I think I thought it was interesting. You know, when you were looking at the CDS index on investment grade debt, and you were telling me earlier today that okay, so you saw a little bit of movement in high yield uh, as uh, the equity market sold off, or um, but you know, investment grade debt was actually rock solid. That's where the Fed backstop is, right? I mean, there is a certain degree of uncertainty as to how deep into the credit markets the Fed is willing to wade, but they've got investment grades back one hundred percent. Yeah, I completely.
3: And so, so we'll see. Heading into next week, you you see this volatility pop. I think people get really nervous and they chase it. The other interesting thing is like. Heading into the election, Vol is high already there. And I've been at several hedge funds that think they're smarter. Oh, you know, there's going to be so much volatility around the election. Like you already bid it up. The sell the news on that is probably pretty, you know, no matter what happens on the election, Vol's pretty high already. I, I don't, you know, chances are everybody and their mom went to buy Vol in November because, oh, the election's happening, you know? So they probably paid a high price for it.
1: You know, um, so I want to get into what's happening beneath the surface in private markets because uh, the question I was asking you before was about, you know, I'm Joe pensioner, Uh, my my uh, pension company sucking wind. Uh, They're supposed to be hitting a 7.5% target. They're not doing that. Uh, How do I get involved? It's the the chart that you showed me. Almost right after that, seems like it's saying that these guys are now getting involved, uh, and and they're not getting involved in IPOs and the in the private in the public markets. They're getting involved in uh, the C and D and the E rounds in the private markets.
3: Yeah, I, I think you know they're doing it through mutual funds, through hedge funds. They're not getting direct exposure, but there is something interesting happening that n- no one else is talking about, really. The SEC is loosening standard for accredited investors to invest in private companies too, uh, and direct listings on N- NYSE. They're kind of going back and forth on whether or not they can raise capital along with the direct listing, which completely disrupts uh, investment banks' IPOs. But they're trying to make it easier for uh, people to gain access to these private markets. There's companies I always say, like watch what Peter Thiel. And Mark Andreessen are doing. They, they invested in this company, a long-term stock exchange on their Series B, ran by Eric Rice. Um, and he he wrote the lean startup. And what he wants to do is transform the entire market to a more long-term investor type thing, where you get incentivized to hold a stock longer than you know the average holding period of like a couple months for hedge funds. So like those type of things are why I think money will be flowing longer term into real growth, you know as long as the Fed can keep this credit crisis at at bay one One thing that is really scary to me that i I'm kind of keeping my eye on is the commercial real estate implosion, and the pensions have a lot of exposure there and when, I don't even know how you sell you know, an office building that has no bid on it. Uh, so will, that, will those credit problems follow through to the rest of the market? Right now, the market's saying no, you know, even though there's a massive issue there. So yeah, we're we are at this weird, there's divergent things happening, but I think the government is basically saying we're forcing people into real growth in private markets um, at the end of the day.
1: You, which is good, but you know, at the same time, you know, you do have the zombification uh, overlay. Which one wins out over time? Because you know, it sounds to me like you have this uh, this bifurcation, zombification in the public markets and uh, growth in the private markets, which not everyone uh, can access. You know, because you and me, we're much more beholden to the uh, the public markets and others are getting uh you know the real returns from the from the private i
3: mean that's why you see the the giant gap between rich and poor now you know if if you can have a 10x in a stock in a private market gr- granted it's it's risky right like this is you know you need to be a big boy and i think that's why the retail investor was never allowed to touch those things in the first place. But you are getting an exposure by your pension fund when the pension fund says, hey eh, we're not going to put as much in fixed income anymore. We're going to slowly allocate that twenty percent of our portfolio to private equity or venture." You know, I think you're you're getting that, and, and you're getting it. Look, if you invest in T Rowe, Fidelity, BlackRock, like they're now getting into these deals too because they're they can't beat a congregated passive fund that. Has like market cap weighted in all fangs. so they have to figure out things to do. Like these investors, mutual funds always underperform when you get like that hurting effect in in giant corporations. So I guess I would say you get the benefit. Uh, Joe Joe Schmo gets the benefit of their pension going into private a little better, but there's also like less transparency in private, and there's a lot more fraud, right? Like you get. Crazy narrative spinners to do it great, you know that that's the problem. But at the end of the day, it's secular stagnation. You have all this money flowing through; it's got to go somewhere. For and personally, I would rather invest in something that's like real growth than you know hit, get get paid a, a a certain yield and watch my society kind of get torn apart. I guess. In, in some senses,
1: we you know uh, if I could wrap it up, I would say that uh, y- your thesis on one level, you know, it's, it's secular stagnation. On another level, it's like I'm so bearish, I'm bullish, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and but at the same time, that uh, there these guys are going to uh, turn it on because this, they have no other option. They they're going to have to go guns blazing on the fiscal and monetary side. Um, So, uh, wrapping all that up together, yeah. What what is it? What's the thing that you you see that is like okay, uh, 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 this thesis is is falling apart? Is it the credit markets? What is the one thing that makes you think okay, they do not have a handle on this?
3: I think it's the credit markets. I think if you get boomers, basically allocating out of out of debt, and you see yields go higher, you see one of the interesting things QA has helped housing the most. If you see that thirty year mortgage rising that's that's kind of scary. but you know thirty year mortgage is at all time lows in the middle of a pandemic, and you'd assume banks would be reeling in their their lending and you know. Credit, credit costs are rising for them and rates are going lower and lower. So like everyone's just gonna start levering up if you know housing keeps, you know, how the the rates keep dropping lower and lower. One last thing I wanted to say too is on the fiscal side of things, there's this weird dichotomy that's happening. Why I think fiscal needs to be a much bigger thing is. Money is getting forced in all these software companies because it's the most capital-efficient way to to generate massive returns. And you need, if that keeps going the way it's going, the skill. Most people don't have the skill set to be a software programmer. You need the government to incentivize other types of growth. You know, whether that be like transforming our mobility systems in, in the the country. Like we're still riding on the same subway systems and bus systems and and all those things. And no one wants to fix it because it costs so much as a private industry. I'd rather invest in Amazon, right? So the government fiscal plan will probably they're starting to add this up, and they're probably going to be like, "Yeah, we need to do like a new deal like and really create incentives for investment on different parts of the economy, or we, we're going to be a one-trick pony.
1: And that's where the uh, people who are hurting now. Can uh, have their labor invested because those are the people who are not necessarily going to win out in you know at the Amazons and the Apples and the Teslas of the world. Correct. Yeah, but
3: you know, there's a lot of a lot of different things going on, but it's a uh, it's an ex- exciting time for sure, Ed.
1: It definitely is. It is. I mean, you know, for me, it, it's somewhat reminiscent of of you know the '90s. Uh, so it'll be. It's just. Uh, Way with way worse with the pandemic on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let let's see what we, let's see where we go. But uh I really appreciate your big picture view and you know your uh, deep dive on market structure and some of the things that are that are happening now. Uh hopefully we can get you back, you know, once a week, once every two weeks to to take us through some of these narratives. I really appreciate
3: it. Yeah, appreciate it. It's always fun. Uh...